this podcast, Dan Jelski, author of Your Future Jobs, talks about building a career in the new normal. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us Dan Jelski, who is an author of um, an interesting book on your future job, uh, building a career in the new normal. Thanks, thanks, Dan. And um, he was a professor of chemistry, surprisingly, at Sunny New Pals in New York State. For several years, he served as Dean of School of Science and Engineering at New Pals. Prior to that, he was chemistry department head at Rose Hulman Institute of Technology an engineering school in Indiana. He began his academic career at Sunny Fredonia, located in snow country near buffalo new york he received a bachelor of science degree in chemistry from university of chicago completed his doctoral uh, uh, of philosophy uh, in chemistry at northern illinois university in addition to his faculty appointments dan has held research appointments at university of buffalo emory university and the institute of science at budapest hungary among other places Dan is married and has two children. Uh, he received a Fulbright scholarship in 1996 that enabled him and his family to spend a year living in Kampala, Uganda. There he taught chemistry at um, Makerere University. He enjoys traveling, writing and reading about economics and politics. With that, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Beautiful. So before we get to the exciting meaty stuff of learning more about your book, Let's understand your what brought you that book. So if you, if you can walk us through your journey, that would be amazing. Well, I, I started out uh, my academic career as a chemist and teaching chemistry. And when I started teaching back maybe in the 1980s and certainly into the 1990s, I thought I was teaching a very useful subject. Uh, there were jobs for my students and uh, the general chemistry school course that I taught was uh, was useful skills and students would come back and say, wow, I, I really needed to know the material that I learned in general chemistry. And uh, this was at Fredonia and the industry around there was in food processing. And I set up, uh, I was basically in charge or maybe I initiated the program of student internships working with these food processing companies in quality control. And I got a lot of students' jobs doing quality control for these food processing companies, checking the quality of peanut butter and jams and juices and all kinds of things like that. And I learned an awful lot about food processing. That was kind of fun, actually. And uh, then I compare that to today, and I'm not at Fredonia anymore. Uh, but I talked to my old colleagues, and that whole industry has just completely changed. And the jobs that used to exist for my students have now been completely automated out of existence. And I don't know what chemistry majors do. And uh, then, you know, now that we have tools like uh, – I'm, I'm too old. I don't even know how to use them myself right now very well, like Mathematica, for example, which mm -hmm. can basically do everything except kiss your wife for you. And uh, so uh, the – skills that I teach in general chemistry just don't seem to me to be all that relevant anymore. Nobody is going mm -hmm. to balance chemical reactions by hand or do stoichiometry by hand or solve limiting reagent problems by hand. And yeah, maybe it's important to know how to do that in principle, but it's not really a practical skill in the way that it used to be. And so the world has changed. And, and then I see that with more with biology majors. I, I mean, uh, everybody thinks that bio 
biochemistry and biotechnology as a way to go, and they are important industries. But an awful lot of my students who were, in fact, biochemistry or biology majors recently have wound up being unemployed. And I had some, you know, perfectly good students. They weren't A students, but they were B students. Uh, and they'd graduate, and they couldn't find a job in their field. And they ended up going back to school to get a nursing degree, for which they didn't need the biology degree at all. And you know, I kind of wasted four years of their life getting this biology degree. And maybe it's fun, and maybe you know a lot about genetics, and maybe you know a lot about uh, bacteria or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's not really, you know, time well spent. So it just seems to me that the world is changing a lot, and I kind of feel sorry for these people. You know, I, I look out on these sea of freshmen, and I, 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 I wonder, you know, why are they doing this? And it worked back in the old days, and it will certainly work for some of them even today. But for a large number of people, that kind of traditional college education just doesn't really make that much sense anymore. And uh, so I wrote my book about... Uh, addressed mainly to average students. Um, so the the folks who graduate uh, with an engineering degree from Stanford, they don't need to read my book. They're they're going to be successful no matter what. So and and the folks who are never even thinking about going to college anyway, uh, they probably won't benefit too much from my book. But there is that large group of people in between who are certainly capable of going to college. And I you know I'm just wondering. Is that really the right choice for them? Is that something they should do? What And if they do go to college, how can they prepare to have a successful career uh, in a very rapidly changing world, something that the world is just not going to look the same in the future as it does today? Interesting, interesting. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that, by the way. So where do you spend time nowadays? Well, right now I'm retired. So uh, I spend time at home, and I read a lot. And my wife and I, we're going to do some traveling. I got a grandson now. So, yeah, that's what I do with my time. I enjoy myself. I mow the grass. So um, uh, that's basically what I'm doing right now. Interesting. Uh, so. And, and so um, if, if, if you look back in your journey uh, as a, as, as, as a uh, professor uh, teaching kids and, and being responsible for preparing the workforce of tomorrow, how has like uh, over over your sort of um, uh, span as 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 an academic, how have you seen uh, the learning landscape change? Well, the learning landscape has changed. You mean in terms of how we teach the classes? That has changed actually remarkably little. And uh, uh, colleges are very conservative places. They they don't like change and they resist it, and it's kind of a yeah. guild. So it has changed some. Uh, so the adult education part of colleges, that has moved pretty much completely online. And uh, colleges that now, you know, they, they, they don't teach adult education anymore. Uh, that part has moved pretty much entirely online. But for my college, which was, you know, it's a, it's a state comprehensive college. It's not one of the elite institutions, but it's not a little community college either. Mm. It, it's that range in the middle. And those, our students are overwhelmingly your traditional college students, 18 to 22 years old. They're in the top 40% of their high school graduating class, or maybe even in the top 30% of their graduating high school class. Uh, they're not in the elite. They're not students that can get into Harvard or Yale or people like that. Um, so, um, for them, it hasn't changed very much. They might take one or two online classes at some point, 
Um, but it's still chalk talk. It's a bunch of professors standing in front of a chalkboard. And maybe we use PowerPoint now instead of the chalkboard. And um, the homework assignments are now graded online in chemistry mm. classes for the most part. So that's less work for us, and it's probably better for the students. But these are all very minor incremental changes. Mm. If you compare college today uh, with college 30 years ago, the main difference is we just cost two or three times more money. Um, mm. But other than that, not very much has changed. It's all very similar to the way it used to be. And that certainly is part of the problem. It seems to me it needs to change more, not just in terms of the way that the education is delivered, but in what the purpose of the education is and what it is we teach. Beautiful. So now if, if we see um, your perception, or at least the student's perception of um, getting taught uh, throughout these courses and throughout sort of your journey, how has student expectations changed? Like, have you seen what they expect out of the course and what they, they and, and, and then get out, out of this? That changed? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, you know, that's a little hard for me to answer. Mm. Um, I don't think student expectations are, well, maybe they're beginning to change now. Mm. Uh, but students go to college uh, for two reasons. One reason is to find a job, and that's a really important reason for a lot of students. And the other reason is for all the other things that you get to do in college. You get to go out with the opposite sex. You get to have a social life. You get to play sports. You, you get to live on your own for the first time in your life. Uh, you get to grow up. And uh, so um, those the second group of reasons are, are exactly the same as they were all since forever. Uh, so, you know, these are people who are 18 to 22 years old, and, and they're interested in all those sorts of social skills, social um, skills, I guess is what you'd call it, mm -hmm. and opportunities. And that's really important. Uh, so the non-academic side of college, I think, is, is probably become more important to them uh, than the academic side of college. And the academic mm -hmm. side of college is becoming less and less relevant, and it becomes harder for students to see directly how getting a degree is going to help them build a career. Interesting. I, th I think that's become harder for students to see. Interesting. And, and as, as an educator, how, what is your, what is your, um, what are your thoughts on the online uh, education? So giving them all this sort of content through online mediums. So I have to confess, I'm, I'm a college professor, which means I've never taught an online class in my mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And that's pathetic, isn't it? I mean, that really is sad. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, a few of my colleagues teach online classes, and my institution has gone kicking and screaming into the online world. They've, they've had to do it now, but it's all done very reluctantly, mm -hmm. and uh, there's no enthusiasm for it. And uh, even up until I retired, it was basically not possible to teach an online class during the academic year. It could only be done during the summer, which was sort of an optional period. In other words, we didn't want to compete with our in-person classes. So the professors kind of guard their prerogative to teach classes um, in person. So you ask me, what is it like to teach online? And I, I will have to tell you, I have no idea. I don't really know. Uh, but uh, I think it is very good for some students. 
And I, I can refer to my, my son's example. He's basically completely self-taught online, and he does very well. So if you're self-motivated and if you're self-disciplined, you can do extremely well with the online classes. Can the average college students get by with online classes and has that degree of self – I'm talking now about 18-year-olds – have that degree of self-discipline and self-motivation? I'm not so sure, and the evidence seems to suggest that they're not as successful in online classes as they are in something with a little bit more uh, personal guidance. Uh, the other thing you don't get from online classes, you get none of the social life that you get with a person mm. person to person college. And that is a big attraction of the college. That's why I think colleges will probably not disappear. Interesting. And and so beautiful. And, and by the way, thank you so much for walking us through that. So now let's, let's get on this book, um, Your Future Job. So tell us um, what brought you to this idea of writing a book? Well, um, Probably not one single event, but I, I would say looking out at a bunch of uh, of young kids and rather than being happy for them and enthusiastic about them starting their their time in college, I found myself feeling sorry for them mm. and wondering what was going to happen. I wanted to do something about that. By the way, I need to give a shout out to my co-author. His name's Tom George. He's uh, chancellor that's CEO of the University of Missouri at St. Louis. And uh, I'm the lead author of the book. The book is mainly my ideas and my content, but he really helped out a lot with some of the writing and uh, with some of the examples. So I, I definitely want to give him a, a uh, and he needs, I need to make sure I share the credit with him as well. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I've lost my train of thought now. What was the question again? No, it's, it's, it's good. So, so now let's, let's talk about um, your journey through writing this book. Like, so once you got this, okay, let's, let's get on this writing. Yeah. Books. So I, I started feeling sorry for my students. And then I started uh, reading and listening to people who are skeptical about higher education. And I think Brian Kaplan is a name that comes immediately to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, it became clear, to, uh, became clear to me that going to college is not necessarily the right thing for people to be doing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go to college. I'm saying it's a, it's a, it's a, something one needs to think about carefully before one just sort of automatically goes to college. And if you do go to college, you need to make sure that you're doing, that you're keeping yourself grounded, that you have some idea of what your career goals are, and that you take responsibility for your own, uh, uh, for your own progress and not just leave it up to the professors to tell you uh, how, to, how you're going to get a job, because they honestly probably don't know very much. Interesting. And and when, when you're writing a book on uh, your future job, so uh, now you're, so you are a chemistry professor and then you said, okay, let me, let me try and investigate and see how future, how sort of folks could keep their job. What are some of the research and sort of where do you find um, the insights that you could share uh, in, in, in this book? So I would say that beginning maybe 10 years ago, I became really, really interested in economics. And especially more recently, I have I've gone through and read a lot of basic textbooks, first of all, uh, just to get myself up to speed there. And then I've been reading you know, a lot of blogs and and um, and uh, things as much as I can get my hand on about economics. And I, I've been interested in uh, and how that kind of fits together. So I, I would say uh, the accumulation of all that reading, plus my experience with my own students, um, that's kind of been the source of information for where I, I got this book. And, and, and so, so now um, 
in that book so what what is what is the what is the under um, underlaid theme that this so, book represent we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast the the underlying theme is is to first of all understand what a job really is hmm. and uh what you have to do to uh to be successful in a job hmm. and then second to understand how technology changes things and uh I can't predict the future any better than anybody else. You know, I have no I have no perfect 100% vision about what technology is going to do, but but I can make some loose predictions about what's going to happen and what's not going to happen and uh I I try to explain those. And uh then I I I try to give some students some financial advice. Uh so there's a there's a whole chapter in the book about capital and about saving money and about saving for retirement and about staying out of debt and you'd be surprised how little students mm-hmm. understand about that. they don't teach that in high school they don't teach it in college they know nothing about money and I I think that's really important for students to understand especially high school students uh so um I I try to put that in there uh, you know I've tried to aim the book uh to my 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 audience my intended audience i won't say the audience of the people who actually bought it but my intended mm-hmm. audience would be a a rising high school senior that is somebody who's just finishing their junior year in high school and they are at the position where they need to start thinking about college and uh uh this would be the book for them and their parents so uh i'm i'm my intention was to write for that particular people now of course the audience grows it could be for college freshmen or college juniors it's not for for mid career career changers it's not for adults it, it wouldn't work for them interesting and i think um, the book has a very clever title by the way so um, i uh, kudos to you on that so it has future it has job it has career and it has normal i think the, those are very potential uh, potent field that is impacting all of our lives today and probably tomorrow So how do you define uh, each of them so how do you define the future job career and normal if okay, you can so, get some like that so my idea of a job is a job is when you are doing something for other people hmm. so um if i work in a restaurant and i cook food for you i'm cooking hmm. your food and you're paying me in return for doing that so um uh so it's basically a trade i cook food for you and you give me some money that i can then use to buy airplane tickets or computers or a whole bunch of other things that i i can then buy from other people mm-hmm. uh so uh ultimately the the um the a job is something that you do for other people that is it is ultimately about the consumer now we get very specialized in our lives Mm-hmm. So um um people are then several steps removed from the consumer so you've got this whole supply chain so it's not just a cook in the restaurant mm-hmm. it's a guy who runs the wholesale food store 
where restaurants buy food from, or maybe the fish market. It's a organic farmer in the in the, up in the hills outside of town that grows uh, the bespoke vegetables and organic products that they cook in the restaurant. Uh, it's the people who provide all the stoves and equipment and hardware that you need to run a restaurant. It's the people who manufacture the tables and the chairs and the napkins and the silverware. And, you know, there are, if you extend it out, there are millions of people involved in the fried chicken dinner that I might serve you in the restaurant. And I think of these as being supply chains and where you draw the line on these supply chains is, of course, completely arbitrary because it all merges into one big mess at some point. But it's very useful to think about that final consumer wherever you are in that supply chain, even if you're two or three steps removed from that final consumer. If you think about who is the person who's ultimately buying your product. Uh, when you understand that, then you understand a lot about how important it is what you do, how stable that market is going to be, uh, to the degree to which you're going to have a career uh, a long time in the future. So, you know, the restaurant business is something that's stable. People are going to be eating at restaurants for a very long time. And for the most part, it's not going to be automated. It's going to be automated in some places. But the, the uh, fine dining restaurant with a human chef and a real waitress, real waitress those are jobs that are here for good, and they may not be high paying, but uh, they are real jobs with real consumers, and they're not going away anytime soon because consumers will always want that. And um, so I, I ask people to think about who the ultimate consumer is for their uh, for their um, uh, their career. So if you're a data scientist, for example, as you are, well. Uh, who is going to be the person who buys data science? Uh, you know, consumers don't go and they, they don't pick up a, a pound of data science and take it home and cook it for dinner in the evening. So uh, you're going to provide services to some company, mm -hmm. and that company is going to probably provide services to some other company who is going to then serve the individual consumer. And it will help you in your career if you have some idea who that final consumer actually is, because then you'll sort of know what you're talking about and who your customer actually, who's going to be paying your bills, because it's that ultimate consumer that at the end of the day pays your bills. Interesting. And I think uh, you talked about uh, that you are right now uh, an, an, an amateur economist. You're reading a lot about um, the economy. So to, if you wear your economist hat, uh, what is a normal uh, that you can define? Okay, so the normal was, uh, the way I use the term normal in the book was the world before 2008. So in 2008, we had the Great Recession. And before that, the economy was growing at some very steady pace. Basically, there were some ups and downs, but basically it was growing at some very steady pace. And then all of a sudden, it fell off a cliff. We had a big, deep recession. And that's not unusual. That would normally happen. And then normally, you would have a recovery, which would be a very sharp recovery afterwards. And then you would go on under this very steady pace after that, um, you know, in the way it used to do. Well, that's not happened now. We did have to start cheap, that steep drop-off, but we've not had the return to the uh, rate of growth that we had before. In other words, the rate of growth after the Great Recession has been much slower than the rate of growth before the Great Recession. And there are all bunch of, a whole bunch of possible explanations for why that may be the case. Why has the growth rate um, slowed down since, uh, since the Great Recession? Uh, but that 
to me, that indicates that we really do live in a different kind of world, and the nature of employment is going to be different, and uh, not necessarily worse, just different. And um, uh, so um, uh, that, that's sort of what I mean by the new normal. And, and when I wrote the book, which was like 2014, I guess, um, you know, we were still sort of barely recovering from the recession people were having a hard time finding jobs today of course it's quite different today of course uh, you know there's basically zero unemployment for all intents and purposes uh, mm -hmm. so today it's a, it's it's actually a somewhat different situation uh, but um, um, I would still stand by my uh, the longer term prognosis that I have interesting and um, in this so in this new normal I think so one thing that 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 I find really interesting. So, if I talk to any 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 fellow economist about uh, um, what they are seeing today, so everyone is scratching their head, right? So, it's saying the indicators that used to define, and, and I think you have put it the best that it's new normal. It's not really a normal that 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 as an economist you said, okay, if I see this, I should expect that, right? So that the entire matrix has changed. So in that. How do you like? What are some of some of your suggestions on, or some of your insights on how should anyone looking to get into get uh, employment into this new normal? What are some of the suggestions that that you would give? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Well, uh, I, I guess it's not so much what you, well, okay. Uh, so there are some jobs which are likely just going to go away because of automation and because of people like you, data science. So you're gonna automate a lot of jobs out of business. So one of those are mathematics. I mean, computers can do math better than you can. And I have no clue why we're still teaching kids mm. college, teaching kids algebra. I, I don't understand that. Have you ever used algebra in your career? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and then I, I used to teach, when I was at the end, I was teaching general education classes. And I would ask the students, how many of you have used long division since you were in school? Mm. And basically, one or two people would raise their hands. I mean, these are people who graduated from high school, like, two or three years ago, and they took long division back when you do long division fourth or fifth grade, and they've never used it, right? So I can sort of understand why you need to do long division, but it's not a practical skill anymore. Nobody's going to sit there and do long division. Um, so, uh, and the number of people who actually need calculus in their careers is probably less than 1%. Hmm. And the number of people in algebra might be one or two percent. So uh, computers could do math better than you can. Computer computers can do chemistry, stoichiometry better than you can. Uh, those kinds of quantitative number crunching skills, what were typically called STEM careers or STEM hmm. skills, those jobs they're not going away, but they're going to be a whole lot fewer of them. And an awful lot of those jobs can be computerized and automated so uh the jobs that remain will be very high paying and re and have very high skilled people but they're the average stem the you know the lab tech or somebody like that those jobs are and i think in 
in many cases actually have gone away and just simply don't exist anymore. They're not the kind of jobs for the average student anymore. So, you know, I don't understand why we require so much math in college. Maybe there's some reason mm -hmm. for it. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, no, I think, and I think the emphasis on STEM, STEM training and STEM skills is a little bit misguided. The jobs of the future are more likely going to be in the arts and humanities, things that computers can't do. So, um, you know, computers, uh, maybe they can write some boring news article about, uh, you know, a press release, but they can't write something that people really want to read. So, uh, and I, that's, it's going to be a long time before they can do that. Computers can learn how to flip hamburgers, but a computer can't be a, a chef in a nice restaurant who uses senses of, of taste, touch, smell, sight, even hearing in some cases, I suppose. So, uh, and puts it all together and knows what people like to eat and knows what tastes good and can mix things in the right uh, you know, in the right uh, combinations to make something that's really good and delicious to eat. So a computer is never going to be able to do that. So those jobs are completely safe, I think. Whereas the jobs that depend on on mathematics and on doing things over and over again, and um, or on um, uh, and computation of some sort, those jobs it seems to me are are at, are at risk. And those are all up and down the. Um, the career spectrum. I mean, truck drivers are famously mm -hmm. uh, going to be automated out of existence. I would argue that a lot of medical doctors, at least mm -hmm. a lot of what they do, is going to be automated out of existence. And I think a lot of what college professors do is going to be automated out of existence. And there will always be college professors, but we're not going to be standing in front of a blackboard teaching students like we do now. That that kind of thing, it seems to me, is is gradually on its way out very slowly. Interesting. I think that's a, that's a very... Um correctly said by the way so i think one thing that um, i can recall so i have a six-year-old daughter and, and i was talking to one of her friend's parents who are uh, her mom is i think one of the montessori school's principal and and i think i was we were, we were talking about how when we were kids when we were young uh, the the education that we get and the when we get employed how much it is used there's a fair amount of overlap there's a fair amount of usage that sort of we can we can expect that but right now the thing that we are using on um, the employee in our jobs daily and as you rightly said the mathematics the basic algebra it's nowhere to be found like so and and then right now so and and uh, another interesting thing that that uh, uh, one of the interesting child psychologists added to that was hey do you know what we strive for efficiency that hey our our kids should be best at what they do but efficiency means automation. So he said the best itself means that she does whatever best she she could. That means she perform she get a secret recipe of success and she she just use that over and over. And that itself means an, an automatable art. So the, our the way we even uh, value education, or the way we sort of understand and and this is a success from education needs to be revisited from from what what we are seeing nowadays. And I think. So what is what is your thought on that? That if, and I think you shared your concern about um, how universities haven't changed much, but the the employability landscape has totally re-evolved re now. So how how if I'm grinding through this educational system and hoping to be employed, what are some things you could suggest to me? 
Okay, well, I have two children, and they did alternate alternate uh, paths through this whole system. My son never went to college at all, mm-hmm. and um, he joined the military instead. And he's he's not thirty years old. He's already earning six figures. So, uh, and he's he's got a retirement account. He's got zero debt, and uh, so I mean, he's a smash hit, and he's never set foot in a college classroom. So uh, that's one model. My daughter, on the other hand, got a degree in English. And everybody says, well, wow, how an impractical degree. Why would you get a degree in English? Well, she works now as uh, she's a very successful editor uh, for a trade magazine in uh, New York. It's a business-to-business magazine, and she earns a good living at it. Now, so there are two ways to, to deal this with this. One is you have to have talent in something. And my daughter happens to be a good writer, and she has a sufficient talent. So I, 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 my book, the best advice I give to students is be good at what you do. And whatever you do, if you're good enough at it, you're going to get a job. So if you're really good at basketball, you're going to be a professional NBA basketball player, and you're going to make millions, and you're going to do really well. But you have to be really, really good at basketball to do that. Uh, other jobs are not that competitive. Uh, but my daughter is good enough at writing that she is competitive and that she can get a job in uh, uh, in the New York media market, which is reasonably, it's not like the NBA, but it's a reasonably competitive field. So for her, the English degree paid off. But somebody who doesn't have the talent in writing is not necessarily going to pay off that much. So you have to decide whether or not you have a sufficient talent to be good enough at what you do to get a job in what you do. And if you are good enough, then going to college in that discipline is uh, is a worthwhile thing. And if you're not good enough, then going to college, you know, being the B student probably is just not good enough uh, to get a job in that field. The A students can do pretty much anything they want. The B student is going to have to add some other talent or something else to it that gets them over the hurdle and gets them into the uh, onto the career path. Um, so, um, so, uh, so I, I, I think, well, the, 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 probably the most important advice I give to students is make sure you're, you're good enough at what you do, uh, mm-hmm. that you are going to be able to compete and get jobs in that field. And, um, uh, and, um, you need to be really brutally honest with yourself and uh, decide if you and make some decisions about whether or not you're really good at what you do. If you take general chemistry and you end up with a B or a C, well, it might be time to start thinking about changing your major because the A students in chemistry are the people, are the people who are going to get the good jobs in the chemistry field. Um, uh, so maybe some B students will get through, but the C students, probably not. So now if I am... Um... I'm deciding whether I should go to college or not. What What do you suggest? Okay. So the most important thing about going to college is you have to graduate. Uh, and as Brian Kaplan has pointed out, an awful lot of college is about signaling the the employers are not really interested about what you learned in college. They just want to see if you can actually get through it and finish it. That means you have the IQ. That means you have the work ethic. That means you can deal with boredom. That means you can deal with bureaucracy. That means you likely are going to be able to deal with customers. Uh, so people who finish college have a stamp on their head saying certified they can do those things independent of what they majored in. 
So from the employer standpoint, it's not so much what you major in, it's that you are able to finish it. If you don't finish college, then you've basically got a stamp on your head said, that says, no, you can't do those things. And so if you don't finish college, you have worse than wasted your time. Uh, you have basically uh, you have basically put yourself in a category of people who are not reliable, or in some way are not able to uh, to get things done, and uh, employers are not going to want to hire those people. So my son, at age eighteen, he would not have done well in college. He was too he was just not interested. He wouldn't have enjoyed it at all. He wouldn't have been good at it. And the best thing he ever did was not go to college. So he joined the military instead, which I thought also was a very good idea for him. And so now he is on his second job, which nominally says bachelor's degree required, even though he's never spent a single moment in a college classroom. If he had gone to college and flunked out, he would never have gotten those jobs. So that college degree required doesn't mean that they want the college degree. It just means they don't want people who flunked out of college. That's what they don't want. And my son, by never going to college at all, didn't flunk out of college. So he's free of that whole whole um, um, stigma. So, um, so I, I think if you go to college, you have to be pretty darn sure you're going to graduate, and 40% of college students don't graduate. So that means 40% of them are basically screwed. And um, so if you are skeptical about whether or not you're going to go to, whether or not you're going to be able to graduate, then by all means, don't go to college. So just do something else. Do something useful. Just get a job. I mean, joining the military is not that easy anymore, but just get a job and prove that you're a reliable, honest, trustworthy person, and you'll be on your way. Uh, whereas if you go to college and flunk out, then you've wasted your time and you've wasted your money and you have basically damaged your reputation by not finishing college. So I, I think the most important thing for students thinking about going to college is realistically, are you going to be able to graduate? Do you like school? Can you put up with the, pardon my language, bullshit that is entailed in going to school for four years? Uh, and if you can, then um, uh, then by all means do it because it will benefit you. But if you can't, then do something else. Interesting. So what what do you say about, I think so if, 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 I, if I recall my um, college days, once you get, so it, once you get in, like you have no clue what's going to be like, right? So many topics that, that were thrown at you, some you thought, hey, you may be amazing at that, but you were not. Then some of the things you were saying, hey, I probably, this is like so hard, but eventually you will just end up cracking that pretty open. So what about those serendipity that will happen um, after the fact that you maybe I'm not too much informed when I when I'm just deciding whether to go or not go? to decide um, what do you suggest to that that bandering mind? Yeah, that's a really hard question. And I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, part of it, uh, I mean, this is less of a problem now because the economy is so strong that, uh, mm. that but that's unfortunately, that's probably only a temporary situation. It's not mm. going to last for a long time. Uh, mm. But, um, but um, uh, it's a really hard question. How do you know how good you're going to be at it before you try? Hmm. And um, you don't, of course. So I, I would say, do you like school? That's the first thing. So you, if you hated high school and you can't stand sitting in classes and stuff like that, well, that college is not for you. 
you might be really smart and you might be able to learn things online or on your own or whatever. Uh, but sitting in a classroom and listening to somebody like me talk at you for 50 minutes, three times a week, that just may not be work for you. So if you don't like school, don't go to college. Uh, and don't let anybody talk you into it thinking, well, you have to go to college to get a job. That's not true. You don't have to go to college to get a job. Um, and, uh, so the, I think the first priority is to like school. And second, if you do go to college and you're not sure what you want to do, then you're right. You need to try a whole bunch of different classes mm. and take a sociology class, take an art class, take a science class, take a math class, uh, and, and see what you really like and see what you're really good at. And then you need to think about what are you going to do for your first job? What kind of skill are you going to acquire in addition to going to college that's going to put you on a career track for your first job? So uh, uh, in my daughter's case, it was writing. And she, mm. she practiced her writing in college and did it very con you know, purposefully, trying to make sure that she was a good writer. And that got her her first job. In my son's case, he is in IT and he got all these certifications. And uh, and then took advantage of all the advantages that the military had to offer to increase his experience level, and uh, he then has has turned that into a really um, a really good career. So, uh, uh, and um, you know, I see you know some of my students are really successful, and they do the same thing, but they do it by going to college as opposed to not going to college, and. A lot of my students, I think, would probably be better off doing something other than going to college. They shouldn't be there. That, I think that's a, that's a very interesting thought because um, I remember whenever I'm asked this question from either folks from my family or folks from who I, my friends' kids who are deciding to go and which, which college to pick and whatever, right? So I always have a, a, a difficulty in sort of negotiating with them. And my perception is this is the best paid sandbox you would ever get somehow so the, as a data scientist i know they not they, the landscape is changing really fast for jobs of future it's like it's uh, machines are taking over our perception and our emotional value jobs which we consider very close to our heart that defines employability are changing our perception of job is changing the definition of job itself is changing when so much of things are turbulent you need a safe ecosystem around you to empower you and I think I, I wrote a blog a couple of years back, which got a lot of heated response from both sides of the aisle, folks on both sides of the aisle. That I, I said was, hey, this is the best place to test and try your entrepreneurship skills. You have professors, you have teachers who, whose job is to, to research in, in, in the industry that probably you would be venturing and, and planning to see into. You have, as you rightly said, you have social sort of uh, ecosystem around you to keep you sane when you're struggling through it. But I, I see your point that um, if you don't have a drive to go through the, all the pain and agony and sort of this learning and sort of this uphill battle to figure out how you can bake yourself into this future, then it, it would be a hard bet. Uh, I guess I'm going to push back a little bit on the entrepreneurship. College is a very conservative place, hmm. and it's very bureaucratic. It's an institution from the, from the 1950s. We're, we're preparing students to graduate in the year 1955. And um, so it's not it's not a place that 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 is good for innovators. It's not a place where you can go to to try out brand new ideas. It's very conservative, uh, very stick in the mud. Um, it puts a heavy emphasis on conformity. Uh, 
Uh, and so it, I'm, I'm not sure that college is the right place for a budding entrepreneur. I mean, maybe if you're in some really technical discipline like data science, you, you probably need to know a whole lot of information about data science and there going to college will give you that information. Uh, so it's a bunch of technical stuff that you really need to learn. But I don't think it will teach you how to be an entrepreneur. It will teach you how to follow a bunch of rules very carefully. Interesting. No, I think um, that, that's, that's definitely a, a, a valid point. So one thing that I as an entrepreneur, as, 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 as a business owner, think about uh, when I hire someone is how much do emphasis do I give to his, his or her um, academic backgrounds, right? So definitely that that is fading away. So that's a very valid point that I, how much I used to care about, hey, whether I need a, a PhD or master's or, or, or bachelor's. I rather now want the ingredients of what I'll So from your vantage point, what is the ingre, what are the ingredients of employability that you are seeing that I should like on, on a very macro level? Uh, what are some of the ingredients of employability that I as a as a profession professional should worry about uh, as we, as I'm heading into this kiosk? Um, well, let's see. Can I answer that question? Uh, so uh, you want thing you want the kinds of things that colleges kind of provides for people. You want somebody who can finish something. You want somebody who can deal with boredom because an awful lot of the real world is being bored. Um, uh, so uh, you want somebody who has a reasonably high IQ, and you have somebody you want somebody who can work uh, who can work with your customers. I mean, you want your customers to be happy, whoever they are. So you want somebody who cares about your customers and has some experience with your customers. Uh, so uh, I, I and you want somebody who's trustworthy. So th those are the things you want, and, and college sort of guarantees some of those things. Uh, but um, uh, I think a lot of it is just, you know, interpersonal relationships. You have to sort of, you know, judge that human being as they come through the, uh, come along. Interesting. Interesting. And, and how do you see, uh, what do you see as the role of automation or something called AI or machine learning when I, when... I venture into the workforce. Like, what do you see the humans and machine collaboration? What are you saying oh, with Okay. Software? So, uh, you know, 20 years ago, nobody, I think 20 years ago is long enough, nobody foresaw that, that uh, cars would be drive themselves. I mean, I remember they had some competition. They tried to have the cars, you know, they were sitting there looking for the rocks and all that sort of stuff and try to navigate. And of course, it was a complete failure. Uh, so what's changed is, of course, you have really good GPS, and you have a um, uh, you have a, a cloud where the intelligence of all the cars in the world can be put into one place, and they all know everything every other car knows, and they can now communicate with each other very quickly and very easily. And you can use AI so that you teach them all a whole bunch of stuff from zillions of data points. So uh, cars could do that because they depend really only on one sense, namely vision. You don't need a sense of smell. You don't need a sense of taste. You don't really need a sense of hearing. You don't need a sense of touch. So it depends only on one sense, that is vision. And driving is a bunch of very well-defined rules. Uh, it's complicated rules, but nevertheless, don't bump into anything and stay on the road. And, you know, stop at stop signs and stuff like that. So uh, automatic automated driving is something that uh, can be automated. 
now take the other example I've used, and that is the chef. Okay, so a, a skilled chef needs to use not only vision, but also smell and taste and touch, and maybe also even hearing. So that's four senses at least that would need to be combined. Plus, the chef has to have some empathy for the person who's actually going to eat the food, has to know what tastes good and what doesn't taste good. In other words, has to be able to experience good food him or herself, right? Uh, that job's never going to be automated, at least not in our lifetime. So a job which requires multiple senses and requires some human empathy or human um, understanding of what the result is, uh, those jobs are, are not going to be automated. So the pathologist, for example, looks through a microscope all day and tries to find cancer cells. Well, a machine can do that. And that job, I think, I'm not a doctor, so maybe I don't know, but I think that job is going to be automated out of existence. I, I don't see why you would want a human being to be, as your pathologist. A, a computer can do that better than mm -hmm. a human can. And it depends only on one sense, namely vision. On the other hand, the general practitioner or the family practice doctor uh, is going to have to talk to the patient, is going to have to look at the patient, is going to have to, um, um, is going to, have to uh, touch and feel, uh, is going to have to listen to the stethoscope or in other ways. It's going to require multiple senses and it's going to have to require some human empathy between the human being and the doctor. I don't see how that ever gets automated. So I, I think that job is absolutely safe. It's going to change in the way it's done. There's going to be a lot more machines involved, and medicine now becomes much more capital-intensive and all that sort of stuff. But you're still going to have to have that, that person who is a, uh, is a general practitioner. So I think a lot of these specialist fields that depend on one sense, namely vision or touch or smell, but only one at a time, those can be automated. But those that depend on multiple senses, and especially those that depend on some kind of empathy with a human being that have to, that have to understand the customer in some personal kind of way, uh, I, I think those jobs are not going to be automated. And um, uh, so my son's job, he's in IT security, that job could very well be automated. And I, we, he and I have had uh, some conversations. Well, what's going to happen to your job 20 years from now? And by the way, son, you'd better be saving for your retirement because you may end up retiring earlier than you think you will, than you think you, you, you might be. So uh, on the other hand, there are always going to be threats to the cyber threats. And as long as he keeps his skills sharp, uh, he's going to be able, he'll probably have a job, but he's going to have to be on top of it. He's not going to, he's never going to be able to relax and say, well, I know what I need to know uh, because he's going to so, have to work. It. My, my daughter, on the other hand, will always have a job because she's in one of those human, human kinds of things. Interesting. And so now let's, let's, let's uh, talk about some takeaways uh, from, 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 from this conversation. So if, um, if I'm a parent, what do you suggest? What do you what do you recommend that I should do to keep myself so, besides reading this book? Yeah, uh, yeah, read the book. I think that's the first thing. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, but uh, if you're a parent and you have a high school senior who's thinking about going to college, you have to put on your um, um, very um, uh, yeah very honest uh, thinking cap. So first of all, is your son and daughter actually going to graduate? That's really important. If your son and daughter is not going to graduate from college, they shouldn't go. So uh, do they have the work ethic? Are they going to be able to deal with the bureaucracy? Uh, 
I, I'm assuming they have the IQ. Uh, that's probably maybe, I mean, it's important, but it might be one of the less important things in going to college. It's mainly work ethic and ability to conform and ability to follow directions and ability to deal with boredom. An awful lot of college, like a lot of life, is just boring. And um, so um, they, your son or daughter needs to have those skills in order to be successful at college. And if it seems like your son or daughter is not going to graduate, then ignore all the advice, oh, they have to go to college to get a job, because that is just nonsense. So if they're not going to graduate, they should definitely not go to college. They should do something else. And any kind of employment would be better better than uh, than going to college. So they, they need to be successful at what they do. They need to be good at what they do. They need to somewhat enjoy what they do. And you can build a career from starting from almost anywhere. You find out over time what you're good at, what you're successful at, what your talent is, and you go from there. And um, if you start early enough, it's a lot easier. But some people, as you mentioned, have, you know, they're sort of like developers. And I was one of those. I didn't know that I was interested in chemistry. Um, mm. So uh, then it takes a little bit of time to figure that out. But what you want to avoid is, is um, failing at something in a way that puts a stamp on your reputation that, mm. that says, wow, you fail. And that is sort of a sum of your personality. I'll just ask you the same question. Given a choice between somebody who's really enthusiastic and smart and who never went to college versus somebody who flunked out of college after three years, who are you more inclined to hire? Hmm. So, Fair point. Yeah. So what about um, an individual? So if I'm a professor, I'm, I'm that uh, high school guy or gal uh, looking into this future horizon. How should I, uh, what do you suggest? How should I sort of uh, evaluate the situation? So I think for high school students and, and people of that age, one of the really important things is stay out of debt and save money. And I know that seems really hard to say because people go into debt to go to college and maybe in a few cases it's justified, but not very often, I don't think. So um, uh, let's say you decide you don't want to go to college and you have you don't have too many options open to you. So you get a job working at a fast food place. Uh, so you live at home, so you don't really have that many expenses. And, and if you can save, you know, 50 or $100 a month or a week, uh, you know, that begins to add up. And then you have no debt. And ultimately, you know, the dollar you save at age 18 is the most valuable dollar you'll ever save because with compound interest and everything, by the time you're 60 or 65, it, it's worth a fair amount of money. And it's going to be worth like at 5% real rate of return, it's going to be worth, you know, like eight times what it's worth now. So, uh, so staying out of debt and uh, saving, uh, getting into the habit of saving money, I think that's a really important thing. And then look around and find out what you're good at. And uh, that is the way you should, you should develop your career. So people are typically good at hobbies. So uh, if you're good at a hobby, find a way that you can work doing something associated with your hobby that you're good at uh, and uh, find a way to turn that into a career and uh, and uh, you, you need to be good at what you do. That's really the most important thing. So find something that you're good at what you do and then do that thing and do it really well and uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Beautiful. So um, 
that brought us to the last part of the conversation. So um, let's spend some some time on your journey. So I think um, if if we say what are some of the tenets of or what are some of the qualities that you really hold very dear to um, as you uh, successfully um, evolved, um, so as to say. Um, well, let's see. What are qualities? Uh, so. Well, I don't know. I, can I think of something like that? Um, I haven't thought about it quite that way. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I've had a I've had a reasonably good career, and I've enjoyed parts of it. And I've gotten a little bit more cynical in my old age about what I've been doing. Uh, I, I've tended to like my students, and uh, I I enjoy I've enjoyed the intellectual life. And sort of the freedom of doing what I want to do, um, but um, uh, would I do it over again exactly the same way? No. If I had to do over again, I'd do some things different. But uh, and I am very respectful of people like yourself who are entrepreneurs. I unfortunately have not had that talent, so um, uh, that's something I would have liked to have done. But I, I simply don't have the personality for it. So. Um, uh, and I've obviously been good enough of what I do that I've been able to stay employed for all these years. Well, as I say, I'm now I'm retired, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's basically all I can say about that. I don't think I answered your question, but it's the best I can do. No, I think um, that, 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 that helps. So um, now let's one, – one other thing we ask all of our guests uh, is about their favorite reads or any books that they have read because, it, as, as we, I think we're talking about – it really helps us understand uh, the gravity and sort of the depth of of your sort of intellectual side. So, do you have anything that uh, yeah, you could share okay. to Yeah, so a book I've read recently, I've actually I've read a couple of books recently. I'll just point out two of them. One is by, uh, these are all academic books. So, one is by Robert Gordon, and it's called the, um, let's see if I can get the name right, uh, the rise and fall of a, of American growth. So it asks the question mm. about why American economic growth has fallen off since the 1970s. And I found that a really interesting book. And even if you don't subscribe to a thesis, he's got so much information in there about how the world works that I found it just a really useful and interesting book to read. And the other book I read not too long ago uh, was by David Hackett Fisher. It's called Albion Seed, and it's about the first uh, pre-colonial or colonial uh, immigration from England to the United States. And um, that's a book that is that's a chore, um, but it's really worthwhile. And I understand much more about my country than I used to understand about it. And uh, it's kind of changed the way I think about things. So those are two books that I've read recently that uh, that I would say have had a big influence on me. Beautiful. So uh, last but not the least, so if you want our listeners and viewers to take away from something from this conversation, what would that be? So what would be your closing remark? So I think the main thing to take away from it is to, is to first of all, be true to yourself. You have to be good at what you do, which means you have to really enjoy it and, and understand it. Uh, and and um, so and then don't get into the rut where you think you have to go to college because you can't get a career without going to college. Mm -hmm. That's not true. If you're good at school and if you're good at college, then by all means go to college. But if you're not good at it, then don't waste your time and don't waste your money. 
and um, and uh, then be aware of the world changing around you. Uh, the things that are going to be automated, in my opinion, are pretty obvious. They're routine jobs, and they're things like mathematics and things like an awful lot of STEM careers. I don't know enough about what engineers do every day, but I have a feeling an awful lot of that's going to get automated, and maybe already is. Uh, and some of these jobs won't disappear. They'll just change in a way that makes them unrecognizable from what they're doing today. Uh, so, um, so, so keep aware of what technology is happening around you, and then be aware of who your customers are. Who are the people who are going to buy your product? Uh, and as long as you sort of keep the customer in mind, uh, you'll, you'll be a lot better off. If you get too involved in what it is you're doing and you forget about the customer, then at that point you maybe end up being in trouble. Well, and then, and then finally, save money. Don't go into debt and and save for retirement because you're much more likely to retire than you are to finish college. Interesting. With that, um, thank you so much, Dan. And and um, to our listeners and viewers, do check his book out. I will put the link on the description. Uh, Your future jobs, building a career in a new normal. And I think it's it's an, it's it's an exceptional read for if you want to understand what's happening in the industry. So uh, I would urge you to uh, check out. And, and leave a comment uh, if, if you like the book and, and what do you think about the book. Uh, with that, Dan, thank you so much for spending uh, a good enough time with us and, and explaining our with listeners and viewers some of the shift that's happening and how they can save themselves from this new normal. I do appreciate your time and you're always welcome back on the podcast. Uh, by the way, is there any sequel to this book as well you're planning? No, no, I, nothing in the works right now. Sorry. Awesome. So thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed the opportunity. I appreciate it. Beautiful. Take care. So uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable. Don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once. That's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down. I hope I'm not up on this.